This podcast contains our own personal views not associated with any organisation. Coronial contains descriptions of death inquests that may be graphic and disturbing to some listeners. Discretion is advised. Hello everybody, I'm Alice. I'm Georgie. Sorry, got me mid-kick out there. I'm Emma. And this is Coronial. Okay, today I'll be telling you about the inquest into the death of Corinna Ann Medway, who died on the 22nd of May 2011 from a brain hemorrhage shortly after giving birth to twins. This inquest was held because Corinna died within 72 hours after an operation of a medical or surgical nature. This inquest doesn't include much information about Corinna's background, apart from her relevant medical history. She had one previous pregnancy, giving birth to a son in January 2010, after going into labour at 32 weeks. She was 32 years old when she became pregnant again with twins, and her due date was the 26th of June 2011. She had a condition called Factor V Leiden mutation, and had a prothrombin gene mutation, which meant that her blood had a higher tendency to clot. Mm. Because of this, she was on low-dose aspirin during her first pregnancy to prevent excessive clotting. During the first two trimesters of her second pregnancy, her blood pressure was normal, uh, but she had a family history of hypertension, which is high blood pressure. Corinna had the same obstetrician for both pregnancies, and he accepted her as a patient for her second pregnancy on the 29th of October 2010. And when was her due date again, sorry? The 26th of June 2011. Oh, okay, so fairly early. Yeah. Okay. So on the 13th of May 2011, at 33 weeks gestation, Corinna went to the YAS emergency department because she had swelling in her feet and hands and pins and needles in her arms. I'm sorry, can you tell me where YAS is? Yeah. Uh, sorry, yes. we're in, <laughs> yes. uh, in New South Wales, about an hour north of Canberra. Okay, thank you. Uh, she told staff that she had a slightly elevated protein reading and her obstetrician had told her she had an abnormal kidney reading. Her blood pressure was 148 over 90, which was higher than a week and a half before when it was 140 over 76. So for reference, uh, normal blood pressure is less than 120 over 80, and the Society of Obstetric Medicine of Australia and New Zealand guidelines states that hypertension in pregnancy is defined as a systolic pressure of greater than 140 milligrams of mercury, so that's the first number and or a diastolic pressure of or greater than 90 milligrams of mercury. She had not been prescribed any blood pressure medication for this elevated blood pressure. The staff at the hospital contacted her obstetrician, who advised them to start Corinna on labetalol three times a day, which is a medication used to treat high blood pressure. The next day, her blood pressure was 130 over 80, but she still had swollen feet and a tingling sensation in her hands. On the 16th of May at 5am, so that's three days after she initially went into the emergency department. And she's still admitted at this point, though? Or I she don't left? believe so. No. Okay, she left. Okay. She'd left, yeah. So 16th of May at 5am, Corinna had preterm rupture of membranes, which means that her waters broke before she was in labour. She was admitted to a private hospital under the care of her obstetrician. At 2.20pm that day, he made a note that if her blood pressure reduced to a diastolic, so the second number, of below 70, he was to be contacted to give further instructions. At 2pm, her blood pressure was 140 over 60, so staff rang the obstetrician and he told them to not give 
the libido lol. Okay. So now I'll quickly run through the next few blood pressure readings that she had while she was in hospital. So 5.23 p.m. on the 16th of May, 141 over 84. 12.30 a.m. on the 17th of May, 132 over 58 and 135 over 60. And 5.55 a.m. on the 17th of May, 134 over 66. So the obstetrician examined Corinna at 2 p.m. on the 17th of May and told nursing staff to completely stop the libido based on those trends that they were seeing. On the 18th of May, so two days after she was admitted, Corinna's blood pressure stayed normal, but a note at 8.30 p.m. stated that the nurses had noticed pitting edema on her feet. The note also included information which was interpreted by the coroner to mean that the obstetrician saw Corinna but gave no further orders as to her care. So pitting edema happens when there is excess fluid built up in the body and it's called pitting edema because when pressure is applied to the swollen area, it leaves an indent. So you you push a pit into their leg. Yeah, and it stays there rather than, you know, normally when you press your skin, it it springs back. It goes back, yeah. On the 19th of May at 12.20am, Corinna's blood pressure was 150 over 86 and a midwife saw that she had pitting edema to her knees. Gosh, that must not be comfortable. At 5.45am, Corinna complained of back and shoulder tip pain, and she didn't think contractions were causing the pain. Her blood pressure at this time was 163 over 88. The patient notes indicated that the midwife had advised the obstetrician of all of these symptoms, and he ordered Panadine Fort for the pain. At 6.35am, the obstetrician was told that Corinna was having contractions, so he told staff to take her to the delivery suite. By 10.30am, Her blood pressure was 150 over 70, and it increased throughout the day. At 2.54pm, a baby girl was born, followed by the second twin, another girl, at 3.07pm. Corinna was discharged from the birth suite at 5.30pm, and her BP was 138 over 76 at that time. Discharged from the birth suite home? No, I think onto the ward. Okay. At 6pm, Corinna advised staff that she had central chest pain, upper abdominal pain, and back pain between the shoulder blades. The obstetrician was there at the time, and he prescribed morphine because he thought the pain was musculoskeletal. Hmm. Get that she's just pushed a baby out of her abdomen. Two babies. Two babies. Sorry. She pushed two babies out. So sure, there might be some... Discomfort. Discomfort. Yeah, it's not exactly <laughs> a pain-free procedure. Normally expected to be in the chest, I would have thought. Mm. Again, not an obstetrician, so I have no real idea. But, yeah, I would have thought that the highest pain would have been in and around her vagina. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's where the baby came out. Yeah. yeah. My very little understanding of childbirth is that the pain is in and around that area. Which makes sense. Maybe some abdominal pain. Yes. At 6.05pm, her blood pressure was 189 over 91. Ooh. So a midwife recorded Corinna's blood pressure as 188 over 100 at 6.15pm. That seems high. <laughs> I would have thought that would have triggered some sort of immediate response when she got to the 191 before, not even yeah. this one. But anyway. The midwife said that the obstetrician was in the room at the time and saw the result. She said that he asked her to keep him informed and left at about 6.20pm. Another midwife noted at 6.53pm that the morphine hadn't given any relief for the pain, so she contacted the resident medical officer on duty. That resident medical officer came to examine Corinna and noticed that her blood pressure readings were very high, but didn't make any notes to that effect. Oh, that's unhelpful. Mm. The resident spoke with the obstetrician about his findings and his plan, which involved contacting another doctor, 
for another opinion, ordering some tests and treating Corinna for a possible pulmonary embolus. So that's when there's a blood clot in the lung, which blocks blood flow to a part of the lung. And they were thinking that based on her factor five Leiden mutation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. While the plan was being carried out, Corinna's partner came out to tell the resident that Corinna was very drowsy and couldn't move her arm. The additional doctor who had been contacted went to see Corinna and immediately saw that she was very unwell with a possible brain issue. Oh, that escalated. Mm. Okay. A CT scan was done which showed a significant hemorrhage in her brain. Oh, is this because she's a clotter? No. She's had a hypertensive crisis. Oh, okay. So her blood pressure is so high that I imagine she's popped a blood vessel in her brain. Yeah. She was transferred to the Canberra Hospital for emergency neurosurgery. After surgery, Corinna's prognosis was poor and the surgeon did not recommend any further surgery. So on the 22nd of May at 5.03pm, three days after giving birth to her twins, Corinna passed away. That's devastating. Mm. An experienced obstetrician was invited to review Corinna's care and treatment in relation to the possible development of preeclampsia, which is a pregnancy complication characterized by high blood pressure. So the expert advised that it was reasonable to consider the abdominable, uh, abdominable, <laughs> abominable snowman. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to consider him all your medical yes. That's important for the coroner to consider. <laughs> Try that again. The expert advised that it was reasonable to consider the abdominal and chest pain as possibly related to a blood clot on the lung and therefore start treatment of this pending imaging of the lungs. However, he stated that her elevated blood pressure from 6pm on the 19th of May onwards required treatment which she did not receive. Corinna's blood pressure at that time put her at significant risk of a brain hemorrhage. So essentially they're saying she should have been treated and she wasn't and that's what then led to her death. Yeah. He said it wasn't clear, based on the medical notes that were taken, why her hypertension was not treated and advised that there were several medications that she could have been given safely to lower her blood pressure. I guess there was that point where you mentioned that the obstetrician said he wanted to stop the medication if the diastolic got too low. Yep. So maybe he was concerned about low blood, blood pressure, pressure with the medication she was on. Mm. And it's clear they were taking it very frequently. Like they knew it mm. was a An worry. Issue. Yeah, okay. they were definitely monitoring it. Mm. And like those numbers you read out, it was slowly increasing over yeah. time as yeah, well. You could definitely see that that trend was going up rather yep. than staying the same. Yep. It was his opinion that the libido lull should not have been stopped on the 16th of May because hypertension that starts during pregnancy usually gets worse at the end of the pregnancy. She wasn't even near the end anyway. She was only 33 weeks, yeah. right? Okay. But he's saying, like, if you'd started mm. it at that point, you shouldn't have stopped it. You should yeah. have just kept her on it until the end of the pregnancy. Once it wore off, her blood pressure was likely to rise again, although it may have been mitigated by the epidural, which can lower blood pressure. And did she have an epidural during I her? I think she, yeah, she must, must have. have. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, what he's sort of saying that, like, yes, it was stopped, but potentially the reason they didn't see an immediate spike was that she then had that epidural, which kept it low. Yeah. And then once the epidural wore off, it started rising. At some point, we will get to my epidural case, and it will be great. (laughs) I think you guys have heard me talk about that one a lot. Mm. Mm -hmm. The expert considered the blood pressure readings on the afternoon and evening of 17th of May to be at the upper limit of normal, which the obstetrician should have identified as the blood pressure starting to creep back up after the libido lull was stopped. He believed that Corinna's increasing blood pressure should have been treated when the obstetrician saw her at 6pm with a blood pressure of 190 over 90. 
and that there would have been no downside to giving her the medication. So even if they didn't think it was due to preeclampsia, there was nothing stopping them from giving her the medication to treat it. Yeah. It's one of those really interesting ones. Like That seems so high that I would have thought that would have triggered an emergency call. Yeah. For multiple people to have come and... Yeah, it depends on their protocols, I guess. Yeah. The expert advised that the most probable diagnosis for Corinna was preeclampsia for the following reasons. She had increasing blood pressure, as we've already talked about. There was a sharp increase in her liver enzymes, which indicated liver dysfunction. And she had decreasing platelet levels. And so to this expert, those would have all been... Those three of them together, it was an indication that there was something going on. It was likely preeclampsia. Yeah. The obstetrician's legal team asked another doctor to put together a report on Corinna's medical care. This doctor stated that, in his view, Corinna was not suffering from preeclampsia because although she had high blood pressure, she did not have edema or protein in her urine. But they talked about her pitting edema so yes. many times. Yes. And she came in stating she had protein, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. And that was information she'd gained from her own obstetrician? You would assume so. Where else would she have gotten that information? Like when she went into the hospital first time. We presume that came from her obstetrician. Okay. Yeah. The coroner found that this was inaccurate because Corinna had both protein in her urine and swelling at least as early as the 13th of May. Okay, cool. Thank you, coroner. Yep. Uh, It seems that this doctor was not provided with the material that suggested the existence of these symptoms. Oh, what? not ideal. So it was not given the same okay. information that the coroner ended up getting. Right, so their expert witness on their behalf was only given half the story to therefore play into the story yes. that they wanted. Yes. Mm. Entirely speculation. We don't actually know that. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly. His opinion was that even if a diagnosis of preeclampsia was made, it would have taken a considerable time to order and deliver the proper treatment. He concluded that Corinna's death was not foreseeable and the only criticism of the obstetrician was that he wasn't fully informed. I think that's really difficult for an outsider to come in because he's been hired by the obstetrician's legal team, but is he a colleague? Is he a junior too? Mm. Is there any implication to him by providing that evidence if it's not in line with the obstetrician that might negatively impact that person that may have swayed them. But I disagree with it would have taken time to order and administer. Exactly. The answer is you do it anyway because at least if you're doing it, sure, if the outcome is still devastating, you've taken actions towards trying to change that. Exactly. Versus electing to not do anything. But I guess, you know, this expert is trying to say that the obstetrician wasn't properly informed and so therefore didn't. Couldn't act because he, he, didn't he did not. Know. But I really struggle with that as well because yeah. there are statements from the other staff that he was in the room at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that that statement about it would have taken time to order and deliver it, preeclampsia is not uncommon. High blood pressure is not uncommon. You would think that there are drugs to treat that would be on hand, Freely especially in, in, a, yeah. Yeah, in a hospital that delivers babies. Yeah. So during the inquest, this doctor was asked whether he agreed with the expert's most probable diagnosis of preeclampsia. He said, I quote, I believe that this patient had preeclampsia most definitely. I've never disputed that, no. Okay. He advised that Corinna should have received treatment for high, high blood pressure when it rose to 189 over 91 at 6 p.m. Which is the... Which is shortly before she had, like, acute catastrophic symptoms, oh, right? It was about 7 o'clock when they realised the morphine wasn't giving any pain yeah, relief, yeah. so... It was about half an hour. Okay. Yeah. The obstetrician was also interviewed during the inquest, obviously. 
He stated that he had extensive experience with preeclampsia and patients classically present with a headache and diminished consciousness, which he never saw with Corinna. He suggested that pulmonary embolus and amniotic fluid embolism could not be excluded. I won't go into detail about amniotic fluid embolism, but the expert stated that there were no symptoms or postmortem findings which pointed to this condition. I think for me, anything involving the lungs, I would have expected some respiratory symptoms such as mm. difficulty breathing or dropping over our oxygen levels and that kind of thing, which you've not described. Yeah. But again, I agree that they're probably on that differential list. Yeah, for sure. And so, yes, they needed to be considered as well. But yeah. It was suggested that Corinna was prescribed the lobetalol because of preeclampsia, which the obstetrician denied, stating that it could have been as a result of a number of things. He prescribed it. Can't he tell them what he prescribed it for? You would think so, yes. Oh, but He's he just saying, no, so I didn't so. do it because of preeclampsia. I think he was sort of saying, well, I did it because of the high blood pressure, but that high blood pressure wasn't related to preeclampsia. Okay. It was then suggested that he diagnosed and treated Corinna for pregnancy-induced hypertension, which he agreed with. So he's saying he was treating her for yeah, pregnancy-induced hypertension, not preeclampsia. The obstetrician stated that he saw Corinna at about 6pm on the 19th of May and stayed with her for about 20 minutes. He said that he took a blood pressure reading of 189 over 89 and wasn't aware of the other readings of 189 over 91, 177 over 93, and 190 over 90. When it was suggested that he would have access to the general observation charts, which had recorded those readings, he said that wasn't true, even though that directly contradicted something he had said earlier in questioning. But also, he's saying that he wouldn't have access to general observations of his own patient? Apparently, yes. Okay. Yeah. And even he said he took the blood pressure reading of 189 over 89. That wasn't drastically different to the other readings. Either. Anyway. It's not like it, that was already high. Yeah, and I'm not sure whether I go into it later, but essentially he says the midwife never told him. But those things were recorded on the charts. That's how they had records of them. Look, so many questions. It's not really painting him in a great light, is it? No, and I get he not. could have been stressed, so him contradicting himself might be yeah. permissible there. And obviously little, the inquest isn't done immediately afterwards. There is yeah, a time delay. There's always mm. a time delay, and that retrospective mm. thought processing can have some biases to it. Yeah. He stated that Corinna had a concerningly high systolic blood pressure and the diastolic was at the upper normal limit, but that he thought it would be dangerous to treat the high blood pressure at that time because they didn't have a diagnosis. Okay. He stated that the most common cause of high systolic blood pressure is untreated pain. I don't know. That's not incorrect. It's not incorrect, I don't think. But I in agree. the context of everything else that's going on with her... And I don't think, again, that it would have necessarily been of harm to try both either way, like yeah. a bit of pain relief and a bit of blood pressure medication. Yeah. But. He was questioned whether any hypotensive medication was given, and he said that's right. But when questioned further, he stated that none were given. So, again, he's contradicting himself as to whether blood pressure medication was given. Yeah. He stated that the only blood pressure he was aware of was the one at 190 over 90. He agreed that a blood pressure of greater than 170 over 110 should be treated, but disagreed that a blood pressure of 190 over 90 would have represented severe hypertension. I assume that experts disagreed with him there. Correct. And the general, like, all of the guidelines that are there disagree with him as well. Yeah. 
He rejected the idea that the time frame from 6pm to 8pm on the 19th of May allowed sufficient time for the administration of an effective antihypertensive treatment. He stated that the game changer was when the blood pressure was 197 over 112 at 7pm, but that he was never told about that blood pressure reading at the time and only found out afterwards when the resident told him. He stated that Corinna's condition was confusing and everyone was concerned about giving blood pressure medication if the diagnosis was incorrect. When he was questioned about the expert's opinion that there would be no downside to starting this treatment, he did not answer the question but explained his concerns. And look, that's fair. He can explain why he had concerns and there are valid concerns there, but I think still the benefits of giving the blood pressure appear by the experts to still be outweighing correct the the, the negatives yeah. negative possible consequences yeah the obstetrician denied knowledge of the blood pressure readings done by the midwife at 6 p.m on the 19th of may and also of the resident reporting the high diastolic pressure over the phone he's really fixated on this diastolic pressure yeah very much so okay ultimately the coroner found that the obstetrician was advised on multiple occasions about corinna's high blood pressure so essentially the coroner didn't buy him saying that, no, I didn't know about it. Yeah. Because there were records to indicate otherwise. Yep. Yep. The obstetrician read paragraphs from the Medical Board of Australia's Professional Standards Hearings Investigation, which happened after the death but before the inquest, uh, which stated that the allegation that he failed to correctly diagnose the hypertensive disorder was not proven. It accepted that there was conflicting evidence and it had accepted that the postnatal hypertension did not warrant immediate intervention. So essentially the review that was done by the medical board said he's not incompetent. Yes. But we kind of touched on this, even just the last case, like the Air Max one, that the coroner's not there to Mm. discipline or have other actions. I guess he could refer to the medical board, but Mm. they're not there to lay blame. They're there to identify public risk. So it doesn't really matter what happened in that the yeah. coroner is still expected to do their own inquest and their own yes. understanding of the event. And we even saw the contradictory information in Air Max where the investigation had stated that Mr. B had provided the owners with the DRN, which the yeah. coroner found was unable to be determined. Yep. So I just don't think that that information is relevant. Yeah, it's just interesting that he brought up the medical board. So despite him bringing up these items from the medical board's review, the coroner found that the board engaged the services of an expert witness who criticised the obstetrician because he failed to respond appropriately to the blood pressure reading at 6pm, but then rejected his report in favour of a panel member's view of whether the treatment was appropriate. Interesting. Mm. Ultimately, the coroner found that the obstetrician failed to give appropriate treatment to Corinna between 6 and 6.30pm. This failure led to her blood pressure continuing to escalate, which caused her cerebral hemorrhage and death. The coroner found that the treatment was available in a time frame to have reduced Corinna's significantly high blood pressure. Therefore, her, her death was likely preventable. So going into the coroner's recommendations, they had four recommendations. The first was all nurses, midwives, GPs, and obstetricians involved in the care of pregnant women undertake specific training with respect to preeclampsia and the risks it poses both anti- and postnatally. Was there much opinion from the nursing staff that was involved in this? Because like, they haven't really mentioned how much they had worries for the patient or anything like that. They didn't go into it too much, but they yeah. would have. Like the fact that they, after they told the obstetrician he did nothing, they went to someone else and said, 
nothing's been done yeah, yeah the sheet, okay. this is still not working like yeah. the pain relief he gave is not working can we get Have something some, yeah okay, yeah so yeah. i think that the nursing staff were very aware that there was this was not right yeah and they were keeping a very close eye on her but I guess in the end, it comes down to the doctor prescribing mm-hmm. the medication. They can't. Fair. Yeah, they can't. They can't prescribe it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number two was literature such as the preeclampsia foundation brochure be provided to pregnant women by their practitioners. Nice. So okay. giving some yep. information sure to they... pregnant women so that they're aware of the, the risk signs. Factors. And, yeah. yeah. And just empower them with that information of yeah. things that they may need to know. That's yeah. really good. Number three, a patient's complete notes be sent with the patient when they're discharged from birth suite to the ward. I would have assumed that already was in play. Yeah, where did they go? Yeah. Okay. Who knows? Oh, that's less than ideal. Yes. Are they just implying that the notes weren't complete? Like people were still writing them at the time that they went? Potentially, or like maybe they weren't with, maybe they came a little bit later after the patients get moved to the ward. Also, number four, this comes back to that. All staff treating a patient should be encouraged to take notes at the time events occur. Right. So they're suddenly suggesting that those notes did not get written in a timely in, manner. Yes. Okay. Correct. After the inquest, the ACT government agreed with the coroner's recommendations. They advised that medical staff will be given compulsory training on hypertension, and both the private and public hospitals will hand out fact sheets and brochures on preeclampsia. Mm-hmm. The nice. private hospital staff will receive education on note-taking and the public hospital will have an external consultant to train staff on maintaining notes. So the obstetrician's clinic issued a statement after the inquest was released saying that the inquest had two fundamental errors. He disagreed with the finding that he saw two key blood pressure readings, saying that there was no evidence to substantiate it. He also said that the two other doctors who saw Corinna agreed with his likely diagnosis of a pulmonary embolism and that another doctor agreed with him that giving antihypertensive medication was not recommended in the case of a pulmonary embolism. So essentially he's just trying to defend against mm-hmm. the, he's defending the coroner's himself. inquest. Okay, we'll, we'll accept he didn't know about the two blood pressures, and I'll just say that's fine. Why that was relevant for them to put out, I don't really know. But yeah, I think that was a real sore point because the coroner said, you yeah. knew about them, and he was like, no, I absolutely did not, and really stuck to that. But he's saying that two people agreed with him or his diagnosis. One of them was the junior doctor yes. that was asked to review the patient. That junior doctor is in a place of subordination, is the right word? Like, yeah. Yeah, to, to that senior obstetrician. If that junior doctor wants to be an obstetrician, mm-hmm. if that junior doctor, you know, is scared for their employment or has any concerns about their welfare, they're not going to disagree with you. But also they may not have the knowledge exactly. base the to, experience. to be able to make those higher level decisions. Yeah. That's why you are the yep. obstetrician taking care of this patient. So you can't say that they agreed with you. There would be they so many times where they would be looking for your instruction. Yes. That's not agreement. That's providing advice. Yeah. And who knows? They may not have or they may thought of other things, but they're also not going to have or not always going to be empowered enough to mm. – overstep the decisions you're making so even if they disagreed with you it doesn't mean that they had the ability to actually change or do anything differently anyway and yeah i find that a fundamental Mm. incorrect assumption that they agreed with you they didn't disagree with you but that doesn't mean they necessarily and also like they're being called into what's now an emergency situation yeah 
they don't know this patient as well as you do because mm-hmm. they haven't been with her for her yeah. whole pregnancy. Yeah. They're, they're coming into it in an already high-stress environment with not as much information. Yeah. You know, you trust those senior doctors. Yeah. So the obstetrician actually went to court to try and nullify the coroner's report. I didn't know you could do that. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know you could do that either. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I didn't know you could argue what the coroner said. Yep. Turns out and he wanted can. to nullify the whole the report. whole report. Okay, yeah. so not even just the information about yeah, him, the, the whole thing. But I guess it's mostly it's about my, him. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not all about him, but it is. But it kind is of really all about, all about him. him. Okay. Yeah. So the judge did actually find that the findings in the coroner's report about his diagnosis and treatment were unfair because a number of the final adverse comments weren't part of the council assisting submissions, and these should have been provided to the obstetrician for comment. Okay. So right. a bit of a technicality there in that he wasn't provided with those Close that information to be yeah. able to, to but comment I think on them. That is a really fair point of of it coming back to those coroners and saying you do need to be fair and impartial about the things that you're saying and making sure that they are appropriately managed, such as giving people opportunities mm. to you know have yeah. their input in terms of things that are negatively impacting them. Because yep. this is obviously going to negatively impact this obstetrician, absolutely. Mm. And so whilst it's not ideal that he had to go to court for that, but I do see what the judge is saying there in terms of that that probably is important for them yeah. to make sure that they are. Yeah, following that correct It's process. just following due process, really. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Make sure the process is followed correctly. However, the judge did not find that the entire inquest was miscarried and rejected the obstetrician's request to quash the entire inquest. And I imagine, actually, now that I think about it, some of that potentially would be with regards to civil suits as well, because if it got quashed, there would be less evidence for a civil suit for that family in terms mm. of wrongful death. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So in 2017, Corinna's partner and children were awarded $1.2 million in compensation. Doesn't yeah, okay. very much. Yeah, no, it doesn't. For a person is not enough, especially no. now that the father is raising twins. A single father well, of three, three kids. Yeah, he's yeah. got oh, yeah, it was a already got one child yeah. and now they've got newborn twins to look after. That's mm-hmm. devastating. Not newborns by that point, but yeah, just. Gosh. So yes, that's Corinna's case, something that's just super sad that should yeah. not have happened absolutely uh, but hopefully with the recommendations the coroner made and the the things that the public and private hospitals put in place means that that won't happen yeah i again. like that they extended to public hospitals yeah because i guess technically they didn't have to but i think there's only potentially one public and one like there'd be right, only one public Canberra, hospital that would be white. Yeah. Okay, yeah, right. It's such a small state that yeah. yeah, it's a bit easier to do it for both because there's only, I'm guessing, there's a handful of hospitals. hospitals. Yeah. yeah. What do we learn from this? In this case, I think that the fact that she had these other medical conditions was a Clouded. bit of a red herring in mm. terms of her care because they were going. She has these this mutation. She has this issue. That's going to be the cause of her problem, rather than looking at taking a step back and just looking generally at her case and what would we expect for these yeah. symptoms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that was a complicating factor for her medical care, whether the outcome would have been different had she have not had, had those, those yeah. other medical conditions. I'm not sure. But yeah, even if she one. did, she, yeah, my mind still goes back to the fact that they should have been, treating her based on the symptoms she had yeah exactly and that that doctor probably should have been a bit more knowledgeable about 
the symptoms of preeclampsia because he was saying she didn't have a headache and she wasn't losing consciousness. She didn't have preeclampsia. Yeah. Well, that's not all patients are going to present the same way. Yeah. With the exact defined spectrum of or well, there yeah. is a spectrum of symptoms, not yes. just those two that he's defined. Yeah. And and he also wasn't following the the medical guidelines. guidelines. So he yeah. should have been a bit more knowledgeable about those as well. Guidelines, not absolute. And so uh, he yes. was making some statements around he had thought about it and elected not. But in this case, it seems like it was misguided. Mm. That's disappointing. It is. And disappointing for her family as well, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And very rare, though. Like, I guess, you know, women losing their life after childbirth is pretty rare in Australia now. Mm. So extra devastating when you go in thinking that it's probably going to be a safe yeah you I guess you make that assumption especially for someone who'd already had a pregnancy that yes it was an early delivery but mm. I'm assuming that all went fine yeah her. I don't so think she there was any probably under you know mm. the impression that 33 weeks so I had my last baby at 32. 30, 32 weeks so yeah. everything will be okay yeah. yeah and even if she was you know she obviously had the pitting edema there were some signs that everything wasn't amazing, but you then remember to be an advocate for yourself. I think yeah. so. And the yeah. more that knowledge is power, like the more you know about all of the, the possible complications without. Like, you know, having a preeclampsia brochure. Yeah, which is, I think, is a really good idea. And I think like this links a little bit back to Ryan's role in terms of being able to get a second opinion if you're not happy with your mm. medical care. Yeah, true. It would have been interesting to know how easy it would have been for them to escalate their concerns as well and mm. what kinds of concerns they had at the time because that would have made that whole situation much, much more challenging if they were trying to escalate and were unable to. And so hopefully Canberra has some similar sorts of things in place like Ryan's rule as well that would allow families to do this as well, mm. mm-hmm. to escalate as well. Just looked it up. Canberra Hospital, I think that's the public hospital. Yeah. Has a program called CARE, which is call and respond early. Similar program to Ryan's rule where a family member is asked to raise their concerns with nursing staff and then they can call a number yeah. to request a review of the patient. So yeah. okay. similar things in place. I don't know how long that's yeah. been in place though. Well, thank you very much. That was an insight into how you can actually – Request a review of a coronial inquest, yeah. which I think is probably what I learned from this one. Yeah, interesting from a medical point of view, but yeah, also interesting from that legal point of view of yeah. you can essentially disagree with a coroner. And I mean, you can always and... disagree with a coroner. Well, yeah. But you can... <laughs> That's fine. It's fine to have your own opinion. You can try to legally disagree with a coroner. <laughs> yeah, there is a legal escalation process. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes Good sense that. It does. I mean, you, can appeal, be, but... you can appeal court cases, so I yeah. wouldn't see why you wouldn't. But I've just never to, thought it. Yeah, I've never thought it's something that people do. But yeah. of course it would be if you don't agree with what the coroner recommends. But, I mean, this did result in them saying, yeah, you've probably been a little harshly unfair on this individual, so yeah. it's, it, it could was affect worth it. his career going forward for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. so Thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, we will catch you again next time. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.